It's the same echo chamber everywhere. It's like, make America great again. Egypt is the greatest country of the world. We have the same exact rhetoric. And I was there in the, one of his rallies and... Uh, At he, Trump rally. Yeah, yeah, in, in somewhere in Georgia. And he was saying, every, every thing that he said, people would cheer him. So like, we're going to repeal Obamacare. Yeah, we're going to kill ISIS. Yeah, and then the biggest cheer came from this next statement. We're going to bring back Christmas. <laughs> Where did it go? Is it Thanksgiving now? It was... Uh, uh, it's a little Bassem Yusuf there. He was on the Late Show with uh, Stephen Colbert just a few years ago, known as the John Stewart of Egypt, having his own show. And he's doing comedy tours here in America. He's kind of exiled since then. So he's been in America for the last six years. And uh, I got a chance to catch up with him, me, Tony Mazur, Check Your Brain podcast. Uh, I got a chance to catch up with him before one of his sets locally where I'm, where I'm currently in the uh, Akron area of Ohio in the United States. So uh, if he's in town or anywhere near, uh, go, go check him out. It's a really good storytelling show that he has. But uh, uh, it was a really good conversation with him talking some, a lot of serious matters, but him getting into comedy from being a heart surgeon to being the Jon Stewart very quickly and having that kind of audience and that kind of reach in such a short period of time. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, this one here on the free episodes of the Check Your Brain podcast. By the way, I have a Patreon, if anyone's interested, where I talk a little bit more. I you, Basically what happens is with the Patreon is you get this podcast almost right when I get done producing it. So when it's done... Uh, I get a chance to throw it up there on the Patreon. So you might not hear this after I did it, weeks, maybe even months after the fact, because I've got a backlog of guests. But if you subscribe to the Patreon, just five bucks. There's a $10 and a $20 tier. But if you just want to pay five, that's fine. $5 tier, you get this interview immediately on the Check Your Brain podcast. So go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. Subscribe, you get that. Plus you get extra podcasts per week, like several per week. So you're not just getting the one. The one usually has a guest. The rest of them is me and my nonsense that I like to spout off on or talking about music or politics or pop culture, cancel culture, whatever the case is that's out there right now. So, hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy this podcast, not only, but the rest of them, if you decide you want to subscribe and go check it out, and if not, just give me a five-star rating or waiting, <laughs> then uh, we'll go from there. But I appreciate it. Hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Bassem Yusuf. It's a shorter podcast today. It's not as long as I normally have them. I, I usually have them try to go into the 40-somethings uh, all the way to over an hour. Uh, but uh, this one, he was on a com he was a, 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 a PR tour. So he was doing a little bit of a media tour. So I wasn't able to have him for a full hour. But, hey, I got, uh, I got about a half hour out of him. So I hope you enjoy this. I'll play some clips from him as well. So this is Bassem Youssef here on the Check Your Brain podcast, hosted by me and interviewed by me, Tony Mazur. I was in the RNC and I was interviewing people. And they have this kind of a hidden racism. It's like, no, we don't have a problem with Muslims, but if you have a bowl of M&Ms and three of them were poisonous, you'll be careful. So now I'm a poisonous M&M. I want to ask you here because um, 
you know, it's so funny because you've probably heard the terms, and, I, and I've seen a lot of your clips that you've been on The Daily Show, whether it was with Trevor Noah or Jon Stewart, and I saw Jon Stewart was over in Egypt uh, when you had your show over there. But now that you're here in America, um, you really, like, because I think with us in America, we get the, we look at the context of us in America and think certain things about our culture, whether it's rah-rah, America or America's the worst country and America's racist, this and this and this and this. And I'm sure it's a collection of both. But when you realize that there are people, whether you're a, a, a comedian or a show host, that are getting arrested because you are questioning the gov- government that's happening right now. That's something that we don't have. I mean, Saturday Night Live is a show that for almost 50 years has questioned and lampooned the government, and no one's gotten arrested from it. So I'm really interested in hearing your perspective of what you see from our version of free speech that we have here in America and how different that has been and that you've seen since you've come over here from Egypt. Well, you cannot really compare what's happening in the Middle East to what's happening in the other third world countries or dictatorship with America. But uh, people are quite, I mean, I hope that people are aware when we make the comparisons, when we make fun of like, oh, America is going into a dictatorship, it is done in a satirical and a political satire way and it's a comedic way. Uh, I do believe that there is like an incredible margin of freedom of speech in America that is not available in any other place in the world. Even when people like on the uh, on the left talk about uh, dictatorship or people on the right talk about cancel culture, you cannot really compare what is happening in, in the other parts of the world. Now, having said that, the reason why America has that much of a freedom of expression, freedom of speech, is that people are always pushing the envelope and always people want to looking always for perfection. And when uh, it is like, and I, and I use that example, I said like, uh, you can, uh, let's say for example, you go into a, uh, an, um, a highly rated five stars hotel, five stars restaurant, it's amazing. So America is that star, uh, is that hotel, is that restaurant. And let's say for example, you get like a, a bowl of soup and the soup is not heated, right? It's not warm enough. So you complain about the soup, right? So you cannot say, the way you can say, like, well, you, you need to be grateful because you're not in some third world country where they don't have any food. It's like, no, but no, we have earned the right to be in a five-star restaurant, and that is America. America have earned the right to be, to always have to be expected to give the, the, the best service, and we're in this case, unlimited freedom of expression. So when people say something that is out of the norm, people complain, but you cannot really compare what is happening in America and other places. So when people like criticize or satirize, it's not out of hate of the country or, you know, or, or kind of like they're not, you know, they're just like having, they're wanting the best service when it comes to freedom of expression in America. Yeah, it's interesting because where America was about, you know, 60, 70 years ago, is that you did have, and I know you've, you're, you're a big George Carlin fan and oh, yeah. his predecessor oh, yeah. of Lenny Bruce, that Lenny Bruce, what he would do is he would go on, and I know you know this, is that he would go on stage with a, he would wear his long coat and he would have his, he would have his identification and everything because he knew that when he's going on stage and he's exercising his freedom of speech and he's ripping on the government and he's ripping on uh, you know, other politicians or the cops or whatever the case is, 
he has that ready because he knows that as soon as he leaves that stage, they're going to arrest him and they're going to book him. And he's like, well, here we go again. And luckily, at least in America, is that we don't have that situation. We do have the It's the term that's been thrown around a lot is that cancel culture type of mentality. But really, when you're in some of these more authoritarian dictatorships that are across the globe, that when you I mean, that is truly canceled because not only are you canceled, it's not that, oh, gee, I lost my job. I can't perform now. It's no, I can't perform because I'm behind bars right now. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's what's so impressive about what happened in the last 50 or 70 years in America. You It's not just like about in comedy. You had people of color that were basically uh, persecuted industries. They're not around to go to schools that LGBTQ people were like being killed openly. It was like open season on them in San Francisco, 1970s. And then you have people that couldn't say certain things uh, or even joke about certain things and they were taken away. So I, I would say that the last 50 or 70 years in America is a testimony on how people have always pushed the envelope to have that kind of freedom of expression, that kind of freedom. And even in that, even at when 50, 70 years ago, America had better freedom of expression more than most people, but people didn't settle, didn't say, all right, that is good. Let us stay on this point. They progressed and they pushed the envelope until what we have now 50, 70 years later. So people will always want to push the envelope and want to have more freedom. And that's gonna struggle, that's gonna always be present in this country so yes you cannot really say we have the in 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 our comedy shows we joke about the comparisons but we know perfectly well that is this is not true and that's the difference between doing it in a just or in a satirical way or doing it seriously yeah comedy is and it's interesting when you know when we've seen what like with for example charlie hebdo and satire is there, there's a response to it, and it's kind of like one of those where the people who are using the satire are in on the joke and they understand it, and people who are a fan of satire go, okay, I get it, this is satire. But there's more, I guess, low-information type of people that they take that more as an insult as opposed to what it is. And it, it, it's interesting with comedy is that comedy is the – it's a it's an impulse and for people and I, and I do stand up as well and in hosting radio shows and podcasts so I'm in that comedy world too so I can see where people are going with a certain joke whether they are joking in order to just kind of be cheeky like for example I mentioned Saturday Night Live is that they would parody somebody but it wasn't necessarily out of hate it's just hey this is a goofy person and I will uh, satirize or parody them, but then there's others who take it more as an insult. And is that oh, yeah. is, is that something? Is that a cultural thing that you see? Maybe there's a yes. difference in oh, the we- oh, oh. In, in the West as opposed to the East. Like well, like what is that? Uh, your experiences from being in the Middle East and then what you see over here in the West. So the notion that you just talked about about taking a joke as an insult, you can multiply that by a thousand, and that, what that, that's what you get in the Middle East. People take things even more personally because they come. They, 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 they consider this as a, a personal attack. So when I was making fun of the Islamist government and after that the military government, people took it uh, you know, a little bit too hard. And the Islamists were calling me an infidel. The uh, pro-military was calling me a, a, a traitor and patriotic. And they, they, because they equate satire with disrespect. And that's a big, big problem in the Middle East. When I came here to America and I was doing stand-up, 
And sometimes I, I joke about everything. I joke about my culture. I joke about American culture. I joke about Muslims and Arabs and even Christians. And I joke about, you know, people in America, the Trump, the politics in America. And I had hate mail, not just from Americans, not from white Americans, but also from Muslim, Egyptians, Americans, uh, Christian Americans. There were people like sending me mail and they didn't like this joke or that joke. I was having... You know, the Muslims, for example, send me a just like a, yeah, you're a, a, a self-hating Muslim or self-hating Egyptians. And the Americans would say, uh, how dare you make fun of this country that like you came in, you escaped from Egypt, you came in America and you're making fun, you're disrespecting your country. And like, and, and, and it's weird because as an immigrant coming here in America, they tell you, you need to be American. You need to blend in. And the most American thing is you make fun of everything, including your country, including your government, including the fact that you're living in this country. So it, it, as if like there's some sort of conditioning, you know, there's conditions. You can be American, but you cannot go there because you're not American enough, because you're brown, because you're an immigrant. You cannot make fun of our president or make fun of our country. But isn't that the part of being absolutely American if you can make fun? That is the whole thing about having freedom of expression, right? Yeah, and that's where when you see certain, you know, certain countries where there's like, for example, there, what was it about, you know, 10, or I'm, I'm blanking on the time frame where there was the, whenever there is a picture drawn of Muhammad, it, it, it triggers that kind of reaction. And in America, there's a lot of depictions of whether it is uh, Jesus or uh, something with, uh, with with the Jewish people. And it's kind of, it's, you know, there's a couple of protests and, you know, there might be a protest or there's going to be some angry letters to the editor, but you don't see the kind of violence that really pops up here in the West. But it is a different reaction that you're getting as opposed to, so it really is a different cultural thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, of course. But like also, you you have to remember the system, the system that allows something that could erupt into violence or not. So, for example, uh, back in in the Middle East, the people who will come and take you from your home is not the people. It is the system. It is the government. They will take you and put you to jail if you said something that they didn't like. Right. And uh, and there's like there's two types of authority. There's the authority that is running the country and there's also religious authority. So people who are the religious authority would maybe push their people to do to harm someone who said something that they didn't like about religion. America, you don't really have the government coming in to take you. You have to kind of like deal with a, a societal backlash uh, or people coming in to kind of like hurt you. Like, for example, you have, you know, people in the white militias that would like spread your uh, your address and, and kind of threaten you if you said something that you didn't like. But you don't have the government coming in and take you from your home and putting you to jail. And that's the big system, Assist, uh, a big difference, like a system that can protect you and a system can actually harm you. It, and well, and what's interesting, and, and I say that a lot because I think your, your background is so fascinating of being a, a, you were a surgeon and you were doing these, you were also doing these YouTube videos that were really rising in popularity to the point where, as, as what everybody mentions about you as being the John Stewart of Egypt. And you're talking, I mean, we're talking about 
you were rising right at the Arab Spring and this this kind of rise that was happening that you were seeing in different parts of, especially in Europe and in the Middle East and everything. And you were, I mean, your story and your popularity, like one of the most popular people, if you think about it, in the world, you had 30 million people watching you. It's just incredible. Do you ever, and, and since you obviously you're not doing that show anymore, but do you ever look back and just go, I mean, to think 30 million, not 30,000, not 300,000, not 3 million, 30 million people were watching you. Do you ever just look back and you're like, man, how did, how did that ever happen? And you, I mean, you really hit a, you really struck a nerve and hit a niche in your, in your country. Yes. Well, it also comes with a price. 30 million people, they're not necessarily, they all love you. They, some of them are hate watching you. <laughs> and I oh, always... Yeah. I always make, I always, I mean, uh, I, I talk about this a lot, about like how to deal with the, these massive numbers. I mean, it does come with a, a downside because it, it means that there are 30 million people who have an opinion about you. And that is, uh, that is very, very, very uh, uh, concerning. And it's a little bit stressful to have 30 million having an opinion about you. And that caused me a lot of stress, I have to say. I mean, I'm, uh, I appreciate, of course, the time that I was giving. I appreciate that the fact that I had that kind of uh, a reach, but it is it is very stressful on your on your nervous system. Yeah, you look back on that, and you it really is bittersweet because yeah, that you. So it it wasn't just so much that you're trying to come up with content, like the stress of, hey, I need to do something. What's going to be funny? What's going to be hard hitting? What's going to be biting? It's also that you're you're afraid that when you just walk to the to the store to get groceries or something that somebody could be attacking you. Some of those people who are hate, like you said, hate watching you, could be after you. And I, I it, it to think about somebody at that level, and especially at a very tumultuous time that you had in Egypt about you know what you know eight to ten years ago was is just it had to be incredible and incredible in in many different ways, both the good and the negative. Yes, uh, and uh, I mean, I, sometimes I would kind of avoid even going and praying in the mosque because I don't want someone who is like, uh, you know, uh, a pro-Islamist government will come and tell me something. Or I would, I even kind of like uh, uh, shied away from some of the places that I used to go because some of the pro-military people will go there and kind of like, you know, <laughs> attack me. Not attack me like physically, but verbally. It was a little bit embarrassing. So I kind of like, I remember like my last days in Egypt, I kind of stayed at home. And the, and how how long have you been here in America now? It's it's been a couple of years, right? Oh, I've been there here for six years. Six, wow, yeah. So you came over here, and you've uh, you've been on the West Coast, uh, which is where you're at right now. And um, yes. you know, are you are you in a diverse community? Are you in a uh, like a like a, a very like minded community where you're at right now? Or and like and how's this bed? How's the transition? Is it just like it's it's nice to be in a different place? You don't have to watch your back the whole time that you could actually get an opportunity to create and you are a creator. You are not only a content creator, you're a comedian and you get this opportunity, especially coming from a guy who already had a nice career before then, and you take this this step into the, the world of stand-up comedy and political satire. Well, I live in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is a wonderful city. Uh, as you said, it's diverse, but, you know, I, 
Uh, I'm in a, in a wonderful community that has all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities. My daughter goes to a school where there's all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities. We live in uh, uh, in the South Bay, in Rondo Beach, and it's beautiful. And uh, I I have I get a chance to, as you said, as create. Well, part of my creation is like I go out and I do stand-up comedy around the United States. I also pitch different kind of shows. I just wrote a children's book. And it's doing very well on Amazon, and it's kind of like topping the charts. Uh, it was uh, published by Scholastic, and uh, and I'm I'm actually very I I think the one thing that I appreciate is the uh, my children's experience. My daughter goes to school here in Los Angeles, and she's in a in a class. I mean, of course, they're doing distance learning now, but she's in a class where there's all kinds of different ethnicities, all kinds of colors, backgrounds, religions. And this is a, 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 an experience that I wouldn't have been able to give her back home. To have your daughter understand that being different is the uh, is the rule, not the exception. Uh, that is that goes a long way with how your uh, your children are brought up. Was that uh, moving to America? Was that uh, the conscious decision, or were there other places that you had in mind? Uh, uh, maybe different, maybe European countries or something. Or was America always like when, like when you when you were getting that taste of being on Comedy Central here in America? Was that uh, was that too too uh, tempting to pass up? I always liked. I, I always considered living in America. I mean, I I used to visit America since the, the early two thousands. And I, I did actually pass my USMLEs and I was going to start a medical fellowship here when the revolution happened. So I always had America in the back of my mind as a place to maybe settle in. So it seems that I settled in, but not as a doctor, but as a comedian. So, hey, it worked out, right? I, I'm really interested to to watch you because I, I've uh, Pete at the Funny Stop has booked a lot of interesting uh, comics over the years and of, of different backgrounds and a lot of comics that I've seen before or I've gotten to know but somebody of your popularity and your fan base, I mean, you have 11 million Twitter followers. People are just, it, 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 like, they, they absolutely adore you. So well, hopefully when they hear this and that they know you're coming to town, that because, like, like what can we expect of a show like yours? Because in America, we have a lot of these comedians that they start off when they're 18, and then they always talk about, oh, well, you know, it takes you like 20 years for you to be a good comedian. But you seem to really just it, almost immediately take off as a comic and just reach the audience that I think a lot of, like you exploded so quick as opposed to what a quote-unquote normal comedian would go through where you say you have to do the open mics and you have to do this set, you have to do this free job and you have to act in this just to try to get your foot in the door. Your foot's been in the door and it was almost like, I, I don't want to say overnight success, but your videos just took off to the point. And again, getting back to that 30 million people watching you, then coming to America and having this fan base as well it, you really like ultimately haven't been doing this all that long and you've still built up this fan base well it, it I have to say that having uh, I, 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 I it was difficult for me uh, the transition was not that easy because I am someone who did political satire in in Egypt it was like a, a desk show you know it was a sit-down desk show it's like the John Stewart and then suddenly I'm in America and now I have to reinvent myself doing stand-up comedy in English which is my second language and I have to do it to an audience that come to me that many of them don't even know who I am 
or people who knew who I am, but they're expecting kind of like the Arabic version of Bessie Yusuf, who did the show back in Egypt. And many of the Egyptian community who come to the show, or the Arabic community, haven't set foot in a, in a, stand, in a, in a comedy uh, club before. So you have all of these expectations <laughs> mm-hmm. that is like put on you. And uh, for me, I am not a, a veteran stand-up comedian. So I don't do what stand-up comedians who have been in the business for 20, 30 years do. You know, they, don't, they, uh, they do like, you know, uh, I, I only tell my story. And my story is a kind of a one-man show story, still using the uh, techniques of stand-up comedy, but it's always also a, a storytelling kind of show. So uh, think of it as a theatrical show that has two acts. The first act is My Life in Egypt, a doctor turning political satire in the most interesting times ever in Egypt in the, in the Arab Spring. And then the second act, me coming to America as an immigrant in the most interesting political climate you can ever think of. So, and, so this is kind of a story, but still, it has jokes, but it also has videos, it has music, it has pictures. I show people, I take them through this interesting journey that I've been through. And, and, and people get engaged into it. It doesn't matter if you're an Arab or an American or you're black or if you're brown. It's like it's a show for everybody because somehow I make this show relatable to everybody who comes to the show. That's and excellent. I would, love, I would love, 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 love for you to come to the show. Oh. Please. Oh, please, I, I will definitely it. be there. And I, I recommend it to everybody because I've gotten a chance to see a lot of your videos on, on YouTube and um, yeah. some of the – whether it's uh, – I think it was uh, – college humor i think did you did one where it was really funny and i I think people really should go check that out and especially for a storyteller because that's the new that's kind of a fairly new thing in in comedy nowadays is the storytelling but there's a lot of comics and i i I see some comics that do these storytelling shows that their lives aren't aren't really that interesting your life is extremely interesting I don't even care if there's no jokes to it. I want to hear your story, and I think a lot of people would, but I know you have what, – what you do is you're going to tell your story and be funny about it. I promise you laugh. I promise you laugh. <laughs> what, I, what, what I'm saying is that, like, you know, you know, comedians, what they do, they come and they do that. They do crowd work, or they talk about, like, oh, their dating life, or, like, what I – but what I do is, like, I kind of, like, tell my truth. I tell, like uh, – I actually, there's, like, there's a whole scene – that I, I described where I was interrogated for my jokes for six hours. And that kind of like goes in for 10 minutes and people can't ima- believe that actually that happened. But I show them videos and I show them th- and I tell them the story and they laugh because it is like the funniest thing is like you get interrogated for your jokes for six hours, joke by four, joke, one joke at a time. And, uh, and then and I talk about like coming to America and being caught into a guns rally (laughs) (laughs) in Cleveland. And it is, it is funny, you know, and then sometimes like I would, uh, there's another scene where I talk about like being in a place where there was a bomb that came out, uh, came off just two blocks away from me and what I had to go through. So it's kind of like, uh, it's an, it's an interesting, interesting story. I promise. I'm I'm so looking forward to this, and especially with different comics, because there are certain comics that are joke tellers and could just like a like a Dave Attell, where it's just joke, 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 joke. No, I and don't do that. So you're not going to go up there, and you're you're not just going to tell jokes. You're telling these stories, but they're humorous stories. They're yeah. uh, they're ones about your background, they're real life. Because again, I've heard comics tell stories. I'm like, yeah, I know that didn't happen. <laughs> that, that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that ever happened to you. But no, it's uh, that's you definitely have this background, and uh, and somebody. So I'm I'm glad to 
get a chance to see you going through. Now you're going through the Midwest and these different cities and, uh, um, you know, and especially now with, uh, you know, as the pandemic, while it's still raging on in some ways, it's kind of, yeah, we're, we're kind of might be coming out on the other side of it. And I hope people can go out there and go see you. And, and I'm again, I'm looking forward to this. And uh, well, the final thing I wanted to ask you, because I know you got to get going here. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask your thoughts. What was your first thought two years ago when you found out that Mohammed Morsi had passed away. What was the first thought? And was there any sense of vindication? Did you get a lot of phone calls and text messages saying, did you, did you see what happened? Did you see what, what happened with this? Like, did, how did you feel when you found out that news? I, 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 have to, I have to be honest with you. I've kind of like, I became a little bit ambivalent of what's happening in Egypt, you know? Uh, uh, you know, the Muhammad Morsi died and then Hosni Mubarak died. And then like, I don't know what happened to Sisi, you know? Like they're like, uh, I kind of like maybe I'm looking now to what happened in Egypt as a distant memory. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't. I don't. I, I don't really care about it. I'm. I'm much more involved with like what happened, for example, in the you know the capital right. That kind of affects me much more than what happens back in Egypt. Uh, and uh, so yeah, there's a lot of people like they call me it's like, oh, you're. The, I mean, like the, the Islam's like, oh, because of you, he died in prison. Like really, seriously, he died in prison because of me. I mean, like I, as far as I remember, I was a comedian under his authority, and he talked to his general prosecutor to come and interrogate me for six hours and arrest me. So I don't know what I did to him. You know, it is it is your problem. It's kind of like they want to blame other people for their own mistakes. It's not my. I mean, I, 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 of course, like, I, I feel sorry for anybody who dies in prison. That was terrible. He should not die in prison because that is terrible. And he should have, like, a fair trial. But, I mean, it, it's like they're trying to blame a comedian for their mistakes. That's not my mistake. That's not my, that's my, that's my fault. Yeah, that's what always happens when you like when you talk about it. For example, a celebrity who passes away, and you just talked about them the day before, and somebody's like, "Hey, look what you did! You killed that guy!" And I'm like, "No, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I, referenced." I, I, I mean, I, I mean, even Muhammad Morsi is not even part of my show. That my show is my show. It's my story. You know, it's like uh, uh, that's what the thing is. Like a lot of people from Egypt come in, and and they they could they they expect to see. Oh, let's talk about what happened in Egypt yesterday. It's like no, I talk about like a much bigger. Uh, idea, a much bigger story. And the story basically is like me coming to America and having to go through everything that an immigrant would go through coming from a very interesting background in Egypt. And that is the story that I would love to tell. And you're telling it on the road, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. So uh, thank you so much. This is a, a real treat to talk to you here today. I, you, I hope our listeners are, are be, be able to go check out the show, and I will definitely be there. I'll, I'll probably be there in the first night you're, you're there on the 11th. And, uh, I, yeah, I'd love to get a chance to meet you, talk to you, and uh, pick your brain some more. And uh, hope uh, hope Pete takes yeah. you out to, uh, to some nice food that we have here, our, our culinary delights here in, in the area. Amazing. And you have my number, and I hope you stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much.